Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Hey, good morning. How are y'all doing today? You good? Yeah? All right, a little bit of energy for a cloudy Arizona day. It's so good to see you guys. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Tim Jacobs, the lead pastor of Compass Church, and God has brought you here today. It's no accident that you are here, and I hope you had just a a time to just hopefully engage, shut everything off in your life, and engage in in singing and lifting your voices to, to... to just to hearing and, and sensing and receiving the Spirit of God today. So, um, by the way, all these boxes, in case you're wondering what all these boxes are up here, this is something, this is really amazing, actually. We do something every year called Operation Christmas Child. Each one of these boxes has in it um, some really cool stuff, gifts, school supplies, hygienic items, and all of these boxes are going to be shipped to um, children living in difficult parts of the world where they don't have these things. They don't have access to, I mean, like in this box here, I can see there's a little stuffed animal. There's uh, some pencils and some other stuff in here. And a kid's going to get this who's going to need it. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. We did probably one of the coolest things we have ever done at Compass Church. I don't even think we intended for it to be as amazing as it was. But we had a packing party where uh, we just had everybody come. We had, I don't know, it's a ton of, well over, you know, 150 people or something like that showed up in a brief window of time, like two-hour time, and packed all of these. And we just got it out. And here's the crazy part about it. Our goal um, or our record every year previous to this year, we would get maybe about 280 boxes, which is still pretty good, you know. But this year, we have well over 430 boxes. Yeah. So we like well surpassed our record. I mean, we just blew it away. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we're setting ourselves up for next year big time. It's going to be hard to break that record. But this is really cool. And so what I want us to do right now is just as a congregation is I want us to pray over these boxes. And because each one of these represents um, a child who's going to be touched with love. So let's go ahead and do that right now. God, thank you for the fact that you have given us um, the mindset of abundance, the mindset of giving. And we know that as we learned last week is we're going to talk about more today that when we open our hand and we're willing to give, we activate this this engine, we activate this mechanism of your grace. And so because of the generosity of the people of this church and you working through individuals, children will be changed. They will be seen as, they will be recognized as important. As we learned in the video that we saw over the last several weeks, Kids that, that had to share toothbrushes with each other and didn't have the resources will have a box that's for them and only for them. And the message would be one of grace. The message would be one of love. The message would be one of you are valued. And God, so I pray for each child that will receive this box that it would be more than just the gifts inside, but they will, it will do something to their soul that your spirit would use this box to awaken them to your love. And that somehow our feeble efforts could begin that process of reconciliation, bringing people back to where they need to be. And that is to know that they have a creator who loves them, even despite 
the difficult situations with bad governments and, and lack of resources and, and uh, challenging areas and family problems and everything else, this would represent that, that goodness and that holiness of you and expressed through your son Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Cool, man, this fires me up. You guys did an amazing job, so, so you should all pat yourselves on the back for that. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now last week... We had a little issue. I don't know if you were around for this, but apparently what we learned was we had a little uh, backflow test earlier that week in our, with our water, and one of the valves got stuck, and we didn't know this, and so we didn't have any water last week. So um, if you, you I, I think this has kind of all happened in first service, because I got the word right after that we had no water on the campus. So like we had to put out of order signs in all of our bathrooms and it was kind of terrible, you know? And, and that's the last thing you want is a whole large group of people on a campus with no bathrooms. And then to add insult to injury, you know, we have this giant overflow <laughs> sign on the wall. So I just thought it was funny. It was really awkward, especially second service, because I'm trying to explain about the bathrooms, and I'm talking about how, you know, God brings in resources, and there's a flow, you know. There's a flow of resources in, and it has to be flown out, you know. And so it all works well when everything's flowing. And I'm like, man, I might as well just show a video of a waterfall, you know, on stage. It's the power of suggestion. I'm probably killing all these people. So anyway, it cracked me up in my strange sense of humor. But I can assure you that the water problem is fixed. You can go to the bathroom as much as you want on our campus today, and everything should work just fine, at least on our end. <sighs> so, <laughs> yeah, we're going to have fun today. So we're going to continue with our theme of generosity. And what's going to happen here, I'm going to read this little section of Scripture just so you get the background. What's happening is there's the churches in Jerusalem— that are experiencing extreme challenges economically. They don't have very much at all. This is due in part to the fact that there was a lot of persecution by their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. Remember, these are Jewish converts to Christianity. The Jewish powers that be didn't like this very much, and so they made often, the, not all of them, but the ones in authority would make life difficult for them. The Romans taxed them very heavily. In general, I mean, taxation was rampant everywhere, and it was, but when you compound all these things, then of course there was a famine that had come into the land, and so there was a large degree of difficulty that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were facing. And so Paul is going around on a tour of the churches he has planted, and he's trying to get relief, starting basically his own, you know, Operation Jerusalem child, basically, is what it is. He's trying to get relief sent back to these people. And so he's talking in 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, which is this, in the city of Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And he's talking about the Macedonians who are up the north a little bit. There's a group of churches up there. And he says, hey, guys, the Macedonians, they've heard about the Jerusalem church situation and they are so, they, are, they have given up out of their poverty, out of even out of nothing. They've given everything they have. In fact, they begged to be a part of changing the situation of the Jerusalem Christians. And so we talked last week about how when you give, you can actually change the world. You can actually change situations because it's material that you are making a, a true three-dimensional difference in the world. And so the Macedonians were begging to be able to do this. 
And so now what's interesting is he kind of turns the tables in chapter 9 on the Corinthians and says, hey, you know, guys, I told you that the Macedonians were excited about giving, but here's the deal. I kind of told the Macedonians that you were excited about giving and that you've been excited about it for some time. So what I'm going to do is I'm sending an advanced team to Corinth to make sure that when, when, the, when I come and we collect this money to give to the church in Jerusalem, that it's ready to be taken, that you guys aren't going to have to run back to your house and you don't have to go get it from this account and that account. So I want you to prepare it and have it ready. And he says, because when I come, I'm coming to Macedonia first. And so if some of these Macedonians were to come with me and they were to see that you're not ready to give, then it kind of makes me look bad because I told them you were ready to give. And then they are kind of, you know, so it's kind of embarrassing for everybody. So this is what he's saying at the beginning. And I want us to read this. And there's a reason why I want us to understand this, this part of scripture. So this is what he says. Now it is superfluous. Superfluous, by the way, means um, um, unnecessary. So someone was last night was like, what does superfluous mean? It means um, unnecessary. For me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, that is the people in Jerusalem, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, which is in Corinth, uh, which is the area of Corinth, has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. So he's kind of creating a little friendly competition. Like I told them you guys were going to give a lot. And then I told these guys that they were going to give a lot and everything else. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. To say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, uh, or go ahead, ahead to you, and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may, may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So we're not going to do a shakedown here. We want you to have time to think about what you want to give, and the right attitude, and the right amount, so we can have the right outcome. Now, I just said those three words, attitude, amount, and outcome. And those are the three things we're going to talk about today when it comes to giving. But the reason I wanted to give you this background and read this first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, first of all, if you didn't have the background, you wouldn't really understand what in the world he's talking about. It's kind of white noise, right? It's like, you know, what, what, I, don't, I don't get this. But second of all, so as you're reading in your, in your devotional time and your own personal time, you can understand what the scripture's saying. But the second reason I wanted to go into this background is for this reason, that giving financially to the church to advance the gospel has always been a part of our Christian practice. You can see in scripture from the very beginning that giving to the church for the purpose of advancing the gospel, for the purpose of moving ministry forward, for the purpose of God using it in ways that are very strategic has always been a regular part of Christian practice. And you can see all the way from the very beginning, it's rooted even in an incidental kind of situation as part of Paul's missionary journey, as part of Paul's whole thing. This whole issue of giving to the church was, a, was, was integrated into that. So this isn't just something where people will say, you know, God doesn't really care if I give or not. Because after all, he owns everything. Everything belongs to him. He doesn't need my money. No, from the very beginning, we're seeing a pattern in the New Testament of people giving to each other. And as they do, relationships are being formed. Things are happening. God is moving the pieces on the chessboard as people open their hands and allow themselves to be generous. God uses that generosity to do amazing things. And so, the, the, but again, as I said before, 
The question is, how, is giving should, uh, how should giving be done? So we want to talk about the amount, or the attitude, the amount, and the outcome. By the way, if you're here for the first time and you're like, man, you know, they're talking about giving. This is like, I can't believe I came to church and I thought, man, I come to church and the last thing they do is talk about giving because I feel like every time I go to church, they talk about money and here I come to church and they talk about money. Just, so it's like, you know, I must have some Murphy's Law. You know, I come in and, oh, the very day I come, they talk about money. But I want to encourage you with something, and that is this. First of all, we don't do this very often. I only, I, last time we talked about um, giving was about 18 months ago, last time we did a whole sermon on it. One of the reasons strategically that we do this now is I like to, if I do giving series, I often like to do them, they're usually pretty short, and I often like to do them before Christmas, before the holidays, because that's when we tend to really make poor decisions with money. We tend to just, just kind of go crazy, and then we spend the first three months after that kind of paying for that. And I'd rather have us on the front end maybe think about these things a little bit and, and look at the role of money in our lives and what this whole thing should be about before we go and make some of these decisions that, and that we might regret later. So that's kind of the strategy behind it. And of course, it's in the scripture, and so we make absolutely zero apologies about talking about anything here that's in the scripture. So how should giving, should be, how should giving be done? Well, the first thing I want to look at is, what should be the right giving attitude? What should our attitude be when it comes to, to giving to God out of generosity? Well, let's look at the next verse here in verse 6. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now the Bible right there says the right giving attitude is what? To be a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the original Greek language is the Greek word hilaros. That's where we get our word hilarious from. Isn't that crazy? So that is the root. The root of that word cheerful is where we get our word hilarious from. It's something that, it, that, that cheers you up, that makes you happy. Even the word hilarious, like when something's hilarious, it's really funny, right? So you think, what's something that's not just, there's one thing that's funny, but then there's really funny. A few weeks ago, my poor sister-in-law was over at the house with my, my brother, and we realized that my poor sister-in-law had never seen Bonnie Python and the Holy Grail. This is a travesty, right? You should not get this far in your life without watching this movie at least five times. So, so we put this movie on, and of course, even though, you know, we could quote the whole movie, it's still funny to us. I mean, it's more than funny. It's like hilarious that the kids are laughing. There's a couple parts you have to fast forward through. But, but other than that, it's really funny. And, and the funny thing about it is my sister-in-law, she like, she's like, wow. She goes, not only do I know that, because Matt, I know Matt's quoted this movie, but this, this isn't just something that Matt quotes. This is his entire vocabulary. <laughs> like, I've known him all these years, and I thought he made all this stuff up, you know? Now I call, because his whole vocabulary comes from this movie, basically. And much of mine does as well. Um, but in any case, it's just like, there's something that's just not just more than, they're like hilarious, like this is so funny. And why? Because it's gotta be something that like engages you, not just ha ha, but like, man, this is so hilarious. And so the idea of cheerful giving is I'm supposed to give in a way that actually brings me happiness. So I would tell you, give what makes you happy. And that's why the title of the sermon is called, if it makes you happy. If it makes you happy to give that, give that. 
Now, I know a lot of us might go, well, oh, that's pretty cool. This is great. So I'll just give what makes me happy. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But think about the nuance here for a second. If you give a dollar, does it make you happy? Does it make you happy to give a buck to something? I mean, like we talked about last week, when you, when you are at the retail store and you buy a bunch of stuff and then you get to the little check stand and they, they ask you, hey, would you like to round up to the nearest dollar and donate your 36 cents to some charity? Doesn't it really make you happy to do that? I mean, do you feel like really good in your heart after you've rounded up and given the extra 36 cents? Do you get on the phone in the parking lot with your basket on the way out going, honey, you just can't believe it. Just, my heart is just so like lifted and wonderful. I feel great. I gave 36 cents. Nobody does that. The only reason that you do it oftentimes, to be honest, is because you feel bad saying no. Because it's 36 cents. Like, I'm oh, fine, whatever, right? I don't even know what charity it's going to. I mean, it could be like the human fund from Seinfeld, you know? I mean, I don't know what it is, but they got a little kid in a little picture, and you're like, you look at the kid, all right, here's my extra. But it doesn't really do anything for your soul. And so the twist here really is this. If we say give what makes you happy, if, if, if given in a sense, this hilarious generosity where you're, where you're actually engaged in it, it's going to have to be something that reckons with your soul. It's going to have to be something that changes you. Where you go, you know what? If, if I give this, this is going to have a, a significant impact not only on the person receiving it, but on me. This is going to change me. And every single one of us knows what I'm talking about because you've all been in a situation where you've like, yeah, here's a buck and whatever you go on with your life. But there's been other times when you're like, you know what? This is significant. This is significant. This is a big deal. And it changes you. Now, ladies, I know that the, the man in your life, your husband, your boyfriend, when he does something nice, let's say he brings you some flowers, right? And you like flowers and he brings you flowers. But when he does that, do you want him to go up to you and go, hey, honey, you know, I found these flowers and they were on sale, you know? So I figured, why not, right? And uh, I mean, I know you like flowers because that's your love language. And if I don't give these to you, you know, then you're gonna be like, oh, he doesn't do anything for me anymore. And so here you go, here's some flowers. And walks away. Now, you like getting flowers, but do you like getting flowers like that? Oh no. Now he may be thinking, I got flowers, you know, I may get some more attention in the bedroom tonight. Is that gonna happen? Oh no. You get flowers like that, guys, it's like worse than not giving flowers at all. You just don't do that kind of stuff. You gotta have the right attitude. Here you go, honey. I would have paid double because it's you. I'd pay triple, right? Because it's you. And I, got, I, 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 spent, I, got, I scoured the whole thing and found the right kind just for you. That's what you do. And you know, we think about these things and we laugh, but you got I always take things back to like the original and go, you know, so much of how God has wired us, I think, is to produce in us metaphors that reflect how things are in the, in the, like the metaphysical sense, you know, like, like the way that a woman would respond to that would be, could be the same way that, like if a woman can, can process that and understand that, why wouldn't God himself be able to process and understand the attitude of which we approach him with our gifts? And if you give him something begrudgingly out of guilt, and they're like, well, I know I'm supposed to do this, and I just hate this, you know, or ugh. Like, why would you do that? What is God gonna do with that? He, like we said, he doesn't need it anyway. So why bother? 
So really, we have to ask ourselves, and I guess Christians specifically, I want to ask you, because if you're not a Christian here, I'm not trying to come after you with this, but I guess I want to ask you, does giving to God make you happy? Does it make you happy to give to God? Does it make you happy to go, man, I was part of making this happen. I was part of making the, the ministry move forward at Compass Church. I was part of seeing lives change and we, we do baptisms here and we see kids come to faith and we, all the things that are happening around here. Man, do I know that when I'm giving, like I'm making that happen, like does that do something for me? That's what I want you to kind of check your, your heart with there. So don't get me wrong, you're not always gonna be jumping for joy. Sometimes giving can be very scary. Because you're like, you know what? I mean, I want to do this. I, I do, but I'm kind of scared because I've never really, like, I've never really done this before. And it's hard when your hands have been closed for a long time to open up. Like, I went mountain biking yesterday, and I hadn't been gone, gone for a while. And so, so uh, I hadn't been mountain biking for a while. So I was out there on the trails, and I was uh, out there for, I don't know, a couple hours or so. When I got done, you know, you kind of like, your hands have been like this the whole time because you're like trying not to fall. And, you know, and you got to, they've been clenched, fit, uh, clenched fists. You got to open those hands up, right? And I was like, whoa. It's hard when they've been closed for a long time to open those up. It takes a little bit of faith. It takes a little bit of courage. It takes a little bit of guts. But as you do, you begin to see God working not only through what you're giving, but also working in you and engages you in ways you never thought possible. So we talked about the right attitude. But is there a right amount? I mean, is there some kind of guide? Is there some kind of, of measure that we can do to help us understand what has been the practice? What does, what, what is something that God would say is, is appropriate? Well, that's the second question. What is the right amount? And to find the answer, we'll start by going back to an earlier letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians. Um, in 1 Corinthians, at, in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, where he says this. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So there's a couple of things going on there. He says, on the first day of the week, you're supposed to put something aside. And what that means is, so they would, obviously they would gather on Sunday. And so it's a regular weekly thing. And so they would set something aside as a regular part of their life. And it doesn't have to be always weekly. It could be monthly or however you do that. But it's not just something that's an afterthought. It's something that's planned as part of your budget. It's, it's integrated with the rest of your life. And so it's, it's worship of God in that way of going, you know what, God, I'm remembering that, that you own all my stuff, that everything comes from you. And so I set aside part of it for you. But the, the principle there is this, that the giving should be proportional. It says, as he may prosper, as she may prosper. So it's not just one set amount, some annual fee. You should never go to a place where it says, you know, in order to really please God, you have to pay this dollar amount, because then those who are really wealthy, it wouldn't be very hard for them. They'd be like, that's no big deal. I just do that. That's, I can just do that and go on with my day. Where other people who weren't very wealthy would go, man, I don't know how we're going to pay for that. And it would stress them out, and it wouldn't be a part of the heart. And so there's a principle of proportional giving. So as, as some people have a lot, then, then, then there's a higher proportion, for, or the proportion, but that amount becomes higher. If they don't have very much, it's obviously lower. So it's not burdensome for people. And so at Compass Church, the way we understand that is we teach and practice the concept of the tithe. And let me say that 
um, you know, so you understand what that is. A tithe is technically 10%. That's the definition of a tithe. So a tithe is actually different from an offering. Those are two separate things. So you say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe. It doesn't just mean that you just give like anything. A tithe is actually by, a, the technical term is 10%. 10% of whatever that God would give you. That is a principle that goes back, not just in this, um, the scripture with the law of Moses, but actually even before that, all the way back to Abraham is when we first see it. In Genesis chapter 14, 28, when Abraham um, runs into this character who's called Melchizedek, he's called the high priest of God. He's kind of a bizarre character. No one really knows what to do with him, but he's recognized as having kind of a special blessing from God. And, and Abraham recognizes that, that giving to Melchizedek is the same as giving to God. And so when he sees him and he recognizes this guy has been blessed by God, that he's been called by God in this priestly function, the Bible says he immediately gives him a tenth of all that he has. Now why does he do that? He does it not for Melchizedek's sake, he does it for God's sake. Because Abraham's life was all about faith. And he sees him and he says, I know if I'm giving this to you, it's, it's as if I'm giving it to God. Later on, his, uh, in, in, later on in his line, his son Jacob did the same thing. In, uh, or it's grandson Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, um, where he, he, he gives the same thing. He runs into somebody and gives a tenth of everything that he had. And the important thing here is this predates the law of Moses. This is a timeless principle. So it wasn't like it was built into the law of Moses. You go, well, you know, we don't like uh, do animal sacrifices anymore. And we don't do this anymore. We don't do that anymore. But this was before any of that stuff was even instituted. It's before even the nation of Israel was, was really set as, a, as an actual nation in and of itself. So it's a, it's, a, it's a larger principle than just a law. And then as you see as the scripture progresses in the book of Malachi, there's the command of the Israelites, because basically the whole Old Testament can be broken down if you want to understand the history of the Israelites. God calls them, God says, listen, I'm going to make you guys an amazing nation. Just follow me, trust me. I'll keep you away from all the people that want to kill you. I'll help you be victorious in battle and everything else. And then they go, that's great, God. And then, of course, they disobey him and they do all these terrible things. And then, you know, they run away from God. And then they're like, oh, God, we ran away from you. We're so sorry. And then they run back to God. And God says, it's okay, I forgive you. And they run away again. And they go, oh, we're so sorry. They run back. And so it's like this whole process is that they run away from God and then God chases them back and brings them back. So this isn't one of those cases where they've run away from God and God's like, I want you guys back. Life is very miserable for you. And if you want to be able to get things right again, among other things, one of the things you need to do is you need to get that whole issue of money back underneath my control. And so he tells him, he says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Bring everything that belongs to God back to him. And then he says this, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now it is true that it's an Old Testament promise given to those people at that time. And you can't always be presumptuous and go, if I just tithe, then I'll never have anything to worry about financially my whole life. I don't think we can be that presumptuous, but I can tell you this that God can do more with your 90% than you can do on your own with your 100%. You just gotta hear that. God can do more with your 90% than you can do on your own with your 100%. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this after being in ministry for 20 years if I didn't have like rich old dude after rich old dude after rich old dude come up to me over the years in my years of ministry and say, Tim, you know what? I'll tell you, that whole principle of the tithe, I can swear by it. It works. And not because they just simply got wealthy, but because, because it, it just meant that over time, they practiced tithing and it didn't hurt them in the long run. 
Yeah, it hurt them in the short run because they could have taken this money and went and did this. But over the long run, if they just, they, what happens is they found that their whole rest of their financial world was brought under control because they realized that God was not engaging merely in the 10%, but in all of their stuff. And so they're going, you know, we have to look at everything God's given us and say, what's, where's the right direction that this money should go? And how much should we really be spending on this? And what about this debt over here? And so all of the money becomes an act of worship to God, not just the 10% that they give. But that's what catalyzes it and starts it. And I'm just telling you, I've never had a guy come up to me who's, who's, or a woman later on in years and say, you know, the worst thing we ever did was we parted with that 10% throughout the course of our lives. Imagine how much more wealthy we could be. I've just never heard that. And so we see this throughout Scripture. We see it, uh, you know, in the New Testament, um, there isn't like a hard and fast, you must tithe, but we see the influence from the Old Testament carried into the New Testament. In fact, even in 2 Corinthians 9, what's, what's really happening is there's a special offering that's been taken up for the saints in Jerusalem, okay? And that's why it's really done out of a heart of generosity. Now, I want to tell you something, just so you understand what's going on here. The chair you're sitting on, the lights that, that uh, are coming down on me here, the, the, the building that we're in, the, everything that you see, none of it came out of people's regular giving. Everything that was built here came out of what was over and above what people would normally give. So people were saying, well, you know, I'm going to practice the tithe, but then when we did a building campaign, they said, we're going to do over and above that. So we're, here's our 10%. We're going to go over that. And so all the things, all the new stuff that we built, our next initiative, we challenged people. We said, hey, you know, pay, bring your tithe, bring your tithe. But then on top of that, if you, if you, if you want to, I don't, you don't have to, but if you want to, and people did, and people gave. And so all the stuff that you see, the capital projects that we've done, have all been things that people have done over and above that. And that's really an amazing thing when you think about that, that this isn't just something that we said, okay, well, we have the money now, let's do it. No, we went to the, you guys and we said, hey, listen, this is what we want to do. Do you see the vision? And, and, and you gave generously, and that's why we have what we have. That's powerful. And again, it goes back to that principle of saying, hey, you know what? You, you may not make a whole lot of money, but you say, I was able to do that. And I'll tell you, again, after being in ministry for 20 years, and, and over time, you know, you start to, you start to like, learn things, you know, as you get older. Like, you learn that when you start growing a beard, it comes in gray. And you're like, what's that about? Okay, I don't feel like that should be the case. But, you know, well, I figured why not? You know, it's November and whatever. So it doesn't look that great right now, but, you know, who knows, maybe a few weeks. But the point is, is that you learn things over time, right? Because you start getting older. And, and the amazing thing is, like my wife and I talk about, you know, um, We've, all, we've always, God's always taken care of us. You know, we've always, in, in, our, in my time in, in ministry, I've always been paid well by, by churches. I've, I'm not extravagantly, but I've never complained about it. So I'm like, oh, this is terrible. I've always felt like the church has been generous with me. And, and you know, we've never, we haven't been perfect in our giving, but we've tried over the years to be consistent, okay? And when you start adding up after 20 years how much money that just our family alone has been able to give to the ministry of God, you know, you start doing the math, you know, you're like almost in that, you know, I don't want to be too specific necessarily, but you're, you're talking almost that six-figure range. And you're going, that's crazy. Like, to give away that amount of money over time to God? That's really cool. And I only say that because a lot of us, that, that for a lot of us, that would never be on the radar screen to think about, it, let alone, like, having that much money to save, but then even giving that much money away. Can 
you imagine how wealthy that makes you over time to be able to be in a position with God in faithfulness to say, God, I, I, you have empowered me to give amounts like that over time to see the ministry of God build. That's what I'm saying. There's just things, and you can't, you can't that can't be undone. Those are treasures that are put in heaven. Those are seeds that are sown in heaven. Because you say, God, you know what? Rather than just simply wasting this money on myself and my own wants, I, I actually set these aside for you because I believed that it was better served for you. It's just kind of interesting stuff to think about. And then finally, what would we, what would we say is the, the, the right giving outcome? What is the giving outcome? Well, I would say this. Giving leads to abundance in everything. It leads to abundance in every part of your life. And by the way, this is a lesson that, that we're all still learning. I'm still learning. Um, look at verse 8. And God is able to make, listen to this, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He likes the word all. Like, and you have everything you need, all things in all times, all sufficiency. As it is written, going back now to Old Testament writing, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then he drives it home even further. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What is that? That's that pipeline. So as you're throwing it out there, God continues to bring in more and continues to bring in more. As your hand is open and it's flowing out of your hand, more is dumped into your hand because you've ignited this engine. You've become a cylinder in this supernatural economic engine that God uses. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The more you give, the more God supplies what you need so you can give more. Now, by the way, I'm not certainly saying that you, I've never, you, I've said this like a hundred times. You don't put yourself in a, in, a, in a position of dependency. You don't do something that's so presumptuous that's just unwise. You don't do that. But there are times where you go, you know what, God? I know this is something I should be doing. I want to do this. I'm just a little bit afraid. But you step forward and you do it. So where does that leave us? Well, as I said last week, you know, you might be the person driving the nicest car in the church parking lot. You might have the nicest house in the West Valley. You might take the best vacations in the world. But if you do not have room in your budget, because you got all this stuff, if you don't have room in your budget for generosity, you're the poorest person in the room. You're the poorest person in the room. You're a slave. You're enslaved to things that will break and warranties that will run out and stuff that will rip and tear. You're slaved to all that stuff. That's no fun. At the same time, there are people in here I know who, who are, who are in um, jobs and career fields that, that don't pay very much, but they love what they do. And they're extremely generous. And I tell you, it humbles me. It blows me away. It makes me, and I, I, don't, I don't really know what people give specifically, but I do, I, there's sometimes things will slip here and there, and you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that person was that committed financially. That's crazy. And I'm humbled by it. And it teaches me, it challenges me. Because some people, there's, there's so many people here who just have hearts that are just amazing. And I just, so more than anything else, thank you guys, because you teach me. And I love watching your faith. So let me tell you, here's the deal. If you're not a Christian here, 
All I want you to hear is generosity. The generosity of God. I don't want you to hear pastor wants me to give money. Don't hear that stuff. I want you to hear that all this flows from, a, from the gospel. See, God's a giving God, so everything flows from him, right? So he gives us life, he gives us breath, he gives us, he gives us grace. And so all we're doing, guys, this is all we're doing. All we're doing is saying, okay, because we believe that God is a giving God, he gives everything to us. We don't have to earn anything. You have been, the Bible says, for it's by grace we've been saved through faith. So I don't try to earn my way to heaven like earning money or earning credits. No, I've been given heaven by God because of his grace, because he stood in my place and took my punishment on the cross for me. And I'm telling you, like, people don't get that. That's is, is absolute truth what the scripture says, okay? So Jesus has stood in our place on, on our behalf. So now all we're doing is we're taking, you know, issues of money and marriage and parenting and, and, you know, my job, the marketplace, and all we're doing is we're applying the gospel to each one of these areas. You apply the gospel to marriage. You apply the gospel to parenting. You apply the gospel to the marketplace. And you apply the gospel to money. And you say, okay, given the fact that God is this generous God who is eternal and everything comes from him, how does that inform what we do with what he's given us? That's all this is. So I want you to hear the very first step, which is grace. God's given you something. He doesn't ask for anything in return for that. Just simply, thank you. Just simply, wow. Just simply your life. Just simply your life. If you are a Christian today, what is this sermon supposed to mean to you? Well, some of us, hey, you know what? You've heard this. You're like, okay, I get it. I've heard this. Pastor Tim, you know, he's talked about it before. We're good. Great. It's just, it's just a little reminder for you. Consider it that. But maybe you're in a different spot where you're going, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I, this is that one thing that I just haven't been able to get my mind around, my heart around, and I got to do some business with God. And I want to encourage you some, because I, I, I'm not going to twist your arm. I've told you this from the very beginning. God's going to build his church He's going to build it. That's without question. The only question is, is he going to use you to do it or not? See, the, the beautiful thing is, when you see, like, we got students in there right now in the Growing Deep class, high school students getting up on a Sunday morning, 9 o'clock in the morning to actually show up at 9 to hear about the gospel, to hear about the kingdom of God, to hear about all this stuff. And they're, they're being deepened in their faith. They're getting, they're, they're getting prepped to go to the Mexico trip in a couple months. And you see what God's doing in the lives of our students. So we have like 80, 90, 100 kids here every week. You give to this place, you own a piece of that. You're part of that. You're what makes that work. You can sit there and go, you know, God used me to make that happen. And you can spend the rest of your life going, God used me to make this place happen. Great. But if you don't, I don't no, no one hates you. No one, it's fine. It's always between you and God. But you can't, but here's the thing. You can't really take credit for it. You just go, well, I, I was able to see it from afar. You know, I, I saw it from the outside. I wasn't really part of making it happen. Because God's going to do it one way or the other. It's just, is he going to, because he's never just going to drop something out of the sky. He's going to use people because that's what he loves to do. He involves us in his, in his ministry, in his mission. So that's the question. So if you haven't given anything to the church at all, if you haven't given anything to his ministry at all, you say, you know what? I'll start by just giving a little bit. A little bit. See what happens. And not, not like the 36 cents, but enough to maybe to, to change me a little bit. I mean, you can give 36, but it's not going to do anything. You know what I'm saying? It's not for you. It's like big deal. Now, if it's really small, maybe, 
maybe be something where, where that's, that's, that's big enough for you, okay? But I'm just saying as you, it's got to be something where you go, God, this is kind of a, this is the thing. You know what I mean? This is, this is the thing. Right? I'm doing this. It's not a token. I'm doing this. And those of you that have been given with you, I've never really, the tithing thing scares me. You try for six months. Try for six months. Say, we'll try this for six months. See what happens. We as a church did that. When I first came here, we were, our church was not tithing as an organization. And we started doing that. One day we went from t- giving 2% to missions to giving 10%, setting aside 10% for missions in one week. But it hit 8% increase in one week during the economic downturn back in 2009. And God didn't give up on us. And we said, watch us. So all this is for you to think about. This is, again, this is not, this is totally between you and the Lord. I'm just giving you what the scripture says. But I guarantee you, that as you do this, you will change in your own heart. As you do business with God, there's going to be a discipline that comes in your life that's going to bring greater joy than whatever mismanagement of funds could do for you in the short run. That's basically what I want to share with you today. Let's go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. For just a moment, I want to get you, just you and God for a second. Just you and God. If you're here and you're saying, you know what, man, I, I know this is kind of a strange time, but, but you know, you talked about money. You might say today, today is the day that I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Because I, all this is about generosity. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, but today is the day where you go, you know, God, I want to give you my heart. So right where you are, would you tell him that? Say, God, I know, I, I know you, we talked about surrendering my, my, my stuff, but I need to surrender my heart first. And I've been living in a way that's, it's destructive. I've been living apart from you. And today, I want to turn that around. I want to do business with you. Today, I'm ready to call myself a Christian. Today, I'm ready to stop messing around. I want to know grace. I want to experience grace. I need grace. Tell him that. Surrender your life to him today. For the rest of us who call ourselves Christians, who've already made that decision, do we need to re-surrender our stuff? Has it been controlling us, stressing us out to the point it's really become a God? Say, you know what, God? I need to bring this under control, under your control. So, God, help me to open my hand. Not for the church. The, the church is going to be fine. It's, it's, it's not bad. It, it's for me, God. It's, it's between you and me. It's between you and me. Would you open my hand? I want to live free. I don't want to be so dependent upon this fear of not having enough. I want to believe when it says you supply the, the seed to the sower and you supply the bread. I want to believe that. I want to live like that. I'm tired of just reading that and saying it doesn't apply to me. Maybe I need to have some conversations with my, with my spouse. Figure this thing out. God, it's a tough subject. And yet at the same time, it's something that, that you've given us a clear path forward. You've given us clarity on. You've given us a challenge. And so that we might experience Experience you a little bit more. Experience what it's like to be on mission with you in this area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.